I should have said, God is marvelous. <laughs> I said, God is marvelous. Uh, Sister Claire said, wake up, church. <laughs> He's marvelous. Come on, say amen. Let's give a hand praise right now for one praise. Come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, you could do better than that. Is your God marvelous? I said, is your God marvelous? I said, is your God marvelous? Is your God marvelous? Well, why not praise him? I said, why not praise him right now? Why not stand to your feet right now and open up your mouth and give him praise right now? If God is marvelous, I didn't ask you if the choir was marvelous. I didn't ask you if Claire was marvelous. I didn't ask you if the musicians were marvelous. I asked you, is God marvelous? If he is marvelous, begin to praise him right now like you know he's marvelous. Open up your mouth and send him glory. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You are marvelous. You are mighty. There is nobody like you, God. We praise you, God. You get the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless his name. Oh, boy. He is marvelous. I guess we got to go ahead and preach right now. We might as well. Lord have mercy. I wish I could sing. I'd, 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 I'd do something right now. Lord have mercy. It's marvelous. Well, as you know, brothers and sisters, we are now at the conclusion of a seven-sermon series entitled Seven, and we have been looking at the seven attitudes of church people in the last days. And Pastor Coxon, we've been startled because we have seen here a revelation of ourselves and the church that is not a pretty picture. However, we've recognized that Christ gives us a clear message to the church, and this message is from Christ himself. I think one of the most important things you can learn about this message of the seven churches is that it comes from Christ. And this is why the book of Revelation declares that it would give a double blessing to those that read it because it is filled with truth. Yeah, the majority of us are afraid to go into the book of Revelation. We're afraid of the beast. We're afraid of the dragon and the stars and the symbols and the plagues. But the word of God clearly says to us, when we read this book, there is a special blessing and a special promise that comes to us. And what you need to understand today is as well, this is Christ's last will and testament. So Christ says, this is what I want you to know. He could have said much more. He could have said much less. He could have said something differently. But Christ says, if you get anything, this is what I want you to know in the book of Revelation. So we're going to start off today just by going to Revelation chapter 1. Turn there with me if you want to look on the screen. You can do that. Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to begin at verse 11 this morning. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. When you have it, just shout, I want the word. I want the word. Oh, no, 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 that's not good enough. If you got it, shout, I want the word. I want the word. Yeah, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. The word of God says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Mm-hmm. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and even Laodicea. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. How many lampstands? And among the lampstands was somebody, someone like the son of man. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many rushing waters. 
In his right hand, he held seven stars. How many stars? And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. (laughs) Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. (laughs) I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Praise the Lord, somebody. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's the context of this passage. Right now, John, the apostle John, the beloved, is exiled or stranded or punished. He is set aside on the island of Patmos all by himself. And the reason why in Revelation, as John speaks about the new kingdom and he speaks about the earth made new, the reason why he says they will, there will be no more sea is because right now, as John is speaking, he's secluded by himself on the island of Patmos by himself. And so he says, when Christ comes again, there will be no more sea. There will be nothing separating me from my brothers and my sisters. There will be nothing separating me from God. There will be no more sea. And as he is there, he's caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. The word of God says that Jesus comes to him. His hair is white like wool. His feet are are, are like burnt bronze. His eyes look like fires from a furnace. And he's speaking to John and he says, John, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches. Yeah, understand now that as you can, if you will just take a look now at the screens, you will see how each of these seven churches is positioned geographically. John, obviously, on the Isle of Patmos. Would you say Patmos? Patmos was like an Alcatraz. If you know what Alcatraz is, somewhere outside of Oakland and San Francisco, it's a concentration camp, maximum security prison that's in the middle of nowhere to keep (laughs) criminals of high value from having any influence. But I think it's important to know that even, you know, it's funny, they took John and they deep fried him in oil and it did not consume him. And then when they deep fried him in oil and it did not consume him, they then threw him in the middle of nowhere and thought that would shut him up. But can I tell you something today? When the Holy Ghost is in your life and when he's all over you, the spirit of God can even minister to you in a lonely place and cause you to be a blessing to somebody else. So watch what happens here. Right there on Patmos, the spirit of God gives him a vision of Christ. Now, the vision of Christ is crucial to your understanding of the seven churches. Basically, we get a high priestly vision of Christ. We see him with all of his priestly garments on. And basically, the scripture says that he is walking amongst the lampstands. What's he walking amongst everybody? He's walking amongst the what everybody? Now, if you're a Bible student, you ought to know what that is a reference to. It is a reference to the tabernacle or the sanctuary in the holy place. What did I say, everybody? And the holy place, you had a lampstand called a menorah. The menorah had seven lampstands on it, seven burning flames. It was a responsibility of the priest to go to each one of the lampstands and make sure that its fire was burning. Now, can I get somebody to pray with me? In other words, the, the job of the priest was to make sure that the light 
of the lampstand was still burning. Oh my. It was never, the scripture says, the light was never to go, to go out. That's go right. out. That's right. He had to make sure that oil <laughs> was still flowing through the menorah so that light, without no oil, there's no light. Mm -hmm. In order to have light, there must be oil. So watch this now. Christ reveals himself in Revelation as the one whose responsibility, don't miss this, his responsibility is to make sure that the church's light is still bright. And what he discovers, Pastor, is that the light of the church, mm -hmm. which is bolstered by the anointing of the Holy, Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. is totally absent. The church is dark. And each one of the seven churches represents the church as a whole throughout all the ages. And Christ says, I've got issues with you because you lack the light that is needed. Yeah, right. It also represents the successive, successive steps in tandem of somebody who's going through the shifts and changes of Christianity on their journey. As we look at these seven churches, what you need to understand, if we can go back just for one second there is one letter that christ asked john to write john is not commissioned to write many different letters or separate letters to each church john writes one letter that is passed around from ephesus to smyrna to pergamum to thyatira to sardis to philadelphia and finally to laodicea which means that each church each congregation of believers can look before and see what's going on in the church before them and look down the line to what is about to come and so what we've discovered as we studied these churches is that these represent last day attitudes today of people in the church in the church in the church in the church who do not have the holy ghost and it's dangerous because eventually it leads you far away from God. The reason why we know this is if you had studied the seven churches, and by the way, they're found in Revelation chapters 2 through 3. The consistent theme out of all the churches, Pastor, is this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Each one of the churches has a different revelation of Christ. They got a different message. There's a different church. But one message remains the same. And we understand now why. If it is the job of the high priest to make sure that it's Christ, that the light of the church is burning, the only way, and you better listen to me today, please do not miss what Coxham and I are going to share today. If there is no oil, there is no fire. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, help us today. Oh, Christ's concern with the church is very simple. In each one of the churches, they all have a, uh, the same issue. What is it? They lack the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we said it, and I know you're going to tag team on it in a second. Mm -hmm. If you declare that you're a Christian and you are not sure whether you have the Holy Spirit, I'm going to help you right now. You are not a Christian. Yeah. A Christian is someone who is spirit-led. The only way that Christ can dwell in your life is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you have light is when the Spirit is activated in your life. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, the Bible says you do not even belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Ghost leading your life, you are not even a Christian. And I would go so far as to say you are taking the name of God in vain. If you call yourself a Christian and you do not have the Holy Spirit leading your life, how in the world can you be holy if you don't have the Holy Ghost? How, how can you be spiritual and you don't have the Holy Spirit? It is an impossible feat for you to accomplish in this life. And I would go so far as to say also, Pastor, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are a dangerous person. <laughs> you cannot be trusted if you don't have the Holy Ghost leading your life. 
The Bible says every thought of our minds is continually evil. Even the inclinations of our heart are evil all the time. You're born in sin and you're shaped in iniquity. So first and foremost, you want to do evil before you are willing to do right. So never say what you won't do. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are capable of doing anything in this life. Watch TV today and see all these serial killers and these murders and people going up in the school shooting people. All it takes is the right time, space, and opportunity without you having the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're going to be up on the TV screen too. Okay. See, and, 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 that, and, and that's what you will discover. Uh, and, and you've got to be hungry for this one today. That's what you will discover when you see the seven churches. They start off spiritual. They start off right. But they end up in a place that they never thought they would end up simply because they did not cherish the work of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm amazed at how I mean, you said earlier, Pastor, Mm -hmm. uh, in our last service, that you ought not even pray for anything else in this life. You ought not ask for no job. You ought not ask for no more money. You ought not ask for a man. You ought not ask for better. You are wasting your prayer life if you are praying for everything else and you have not asked for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's right. If you don't have the Holy Spirit and you ask him for other stuff, you have become dangerous. That's right. What you say. Even the blessings that God would give you would become a curse in your life if you don't have the Holy Spirit leading you. Oh, come on. Say amen. <laughs> Some things that you ask God for are not good for you right now unless you have the Holy Spirit, the power to live out what God is trying to bless you with. God can give you certain things, but some of those things are going to take you straight to hell if the Holy Ghost is not leading your life. I'm trying to be as real as I can today without preaching. All right, here we go. Let's move. Let's move. So the next thing we found out is that each of these seven churches, they represent an attitude of people without the Holy Spirit, but they are also a life cycle of a person that is not led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, somebody starts here high, maybe when they come into the church, but slowly but surely there is a slippery slope that they fall down and they easily begin to decline. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The assumption is, is that I'm not out in the world anymore. I ain't, I ain't on heroin anymore. I ain't smoking crack. I'm not at the club. So I'm okay. You can be a whitewashed tomb as the word of God said, but be inside full of dead men's bones. We think that morality equals holiness. We think that I don't do this equals goodness. You can be a moral devil. If the spirit of God is not dwelling in your life, you Hello. start off in Ephesus, mm-hmm. as we go show right now, and end up Laodicean. And this is a powerful word, so we got to get to it. Let's go to the next point. Okay, so here we go. We also found out that the cities represented were influential in the attitude of the churches. Every time the pastor and I spoke on a church or we did some study on any other churches, what we found out is that the church was simply reflective of the society that they were in. In other words, instead of the church evangelizing the city, The city was evangelizing the church. Instead of the church blending out, the church was blending into society. They were not being evangelized. They were not getting better. They were just succumbing to the same things that the city was was going on in the city at that time. Sure. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. Last point is Christ reveals himself as the solution for each attitude. Now, the good news about this is, is that even though the attitudes of these churches was enough for Christ to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if their flame is not burning, as he said, I will remove your lampstand out of his place. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Saints, you are not irreplaceable. 
There is nobody in here bankrolling enough. Ain't nobody in here faithful enough. Ain't nobody in here gifted enough where God can't replace you. You are irreplaceable. I'm irreplaceable. Coaxum is irreplaceable. And the scripture said very clearly, he came to Ephesus and said, look, he says, your attitude is, is disturbing to me. But check this out. I can move you out of the way and bring somebody else in to take your place. So Christ reveals himself as the only solution. And our solution must only be in him. We got to look to Christ. Yeah, and, you know, in the churches as well, Christ is very specific specific in how he identifies himself. With each church, he gives them a different part of himself, a different identification of himself, which is to say that whatever you need from God, God is that. Yes. I love what he says to Moses on the mountain. Yes. Moses says, God, please tell me your name so I can tell the other people so that we can know how to call you from now. We've just been calling you God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, just tell them I am sent you. Yes. Yes. In other words, I am everything that you need. You need yes. money? I am. Yes. You need clothes? I am. You need food. I am. You need to be healed. I am that. Whatever you need, that's what I am. And so for each church, for whatever they're going through, Christ reveals a different part of himself. That is to say, listen, whatever you're going through right now, I can fix it because I am this for you. Let's go to the first church, Church of Ephesus. The, The key attitude with Ephesus is they had amnesia. Oh, my. Amnesia is when you forget. Now, understand here now, the church of Ephesus was the church that prided themselves that they had the truth. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that they had tested false prophets, pastor. They have tested false doctrine, and they found out that the seventh day is the Sabbath. They found out when you die, you stay dead. They found out what's clean meat and unclean meat. But the issue that Christ has with them is this. He says very clearly, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Or the word consider means to remember. Everybody say remember. That wasn't everybody. Everybody say remember. Remember. And then notice what he says. He says remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And here's the point we want to make to you very clearly. If truth without love is not truth at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care how much you know. And God doesn't really care how much you know either. Because his thing is, is if you have a plethora of knowledge, if you are well-versed in scripture, but you lack love to the extent that you forgot where God has brought you. I mean, I'm sitting around here looking at your faces right now. I'm trying to uh, just remind yourself in this moment right now. Can we pause for a moment? Think back where God brought you from. Think back what you were doing, where you were, the mess that you were in when God pulled you out of where you were how is it that you can get pulled out of that mess come into the body of christ and find a few new truths and think that you are superior to other people now watch this now this attitude is the first step in the downward spiral to becoming a person who does not possess the spirit yeah yeah very good very good so we move to the next one. Next church is Smyrna. And we chose for this keyword victim or the victim mindset or the victim mentality. When you study the church in Smyrna and the city of Smyrna, you find out that Smyrna is a very rich city. They have everything that they need. They're very affluent and all of that. But what we find also is that in comparison, the church is poor, but the city is rich. Now, see, you don't even get that. But for me, that makes me mad. The city is rich, but the people of God, they are poor. Now, I don't get that sometimes, and if you got to be honest with yourself, you have to admit, too, how in the world can I be poor and I'm in the church? 
Can we not agree that sometimes it seems like the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? How is it that I can be, this don't make no doggone sense. How can I be serving God and my marriage is messed up? How can I be serving God and my child is sick? How can I be serving God and I'm still going through suffering even more than the people who are not even acknowledging God, neither are they serving him? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so Christ speaks to this church because they're going through suffering. Here's what he says. I know your afflictions and I know your poverty as well. Yet you are rich. Well, God, how in the world am I rich? I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. So not only is the church suffering, Christ says, I'm about to put you through more suffering. Now for me, that don't make no sense either. I'm already suffering and you are add on top of what I'm going through some other stuff as well. God says, I don't want you to be afraid. I tell you, the devil is going to put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. So here it is. When you start off in Ephesus, you're very conservative. You know all the truths of God. You know about the Sabbath day. You know about the state of the dead. You can quote the pastor's sermons backwards and forwards. You know all the doctrines of the church. And because you have given your life to Christ, so to speak, and because you know all the truth that there is to know, you assume that you don't deserve any suffering so let me blow your minds for a second you don't deserve anything nobody won't say amen on that and I just love what Psalms 103 says I quote it in every sermon because I can't get it out of my mind I'm grateful God does not treat us as our sins deserve but he remembers our frame he knows that we are dust and as far as the east is from the west God has removed our sins from us you don't deserve anything from God but the devil's plan is to make you think that God is punishing you for what you are doing right and even the right things that you are doing in your life they're not necessarily right because you can't do it by yourself it is God who is motivating you to do what is right even when you do what's right Think about Job, Pastor, and I know we can't. We got to move right here, right here. But, but, but Job is arguing with God, saying, God, I'm righteous. I, 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 I sacrificed for my children. I never said a harmful word to anybody. And one day God just shows up and said, Job, what you don't understand is that the devil asked me to kill you. So I did you a favor by keeping you alive and allowed you to go through suffering just to better your character and to make you into a better person. But the devil wants us to believe that we are victims of the wrath of God. And let me say this, and I promise I'm going to shut up right here. The wrath of God is this. God simply lets you have what you really want. And everybody around here thinks God is angry at them. God's a stubborn father. He's looking over their shoulder, waiting for them to mess up. God is waiting to whip somebody and to beat them and to punish them and to cause harm on them. God is not like that. If God really wanted to punish you, you would not be here today. But the devil wants us to believe that we are victims. God says, no, just be faithful unto death. And I will grant you your victor's crown. Yeah, you know, Ellen White says this. She says, every time a believer experiences a trial, they ought to get happy because they know that a blessing to the depth of their trial is on the way. 
when you suffer, it is a signal and an announcement to you that God is about to do something. See, what we fail to realize is that suffering is preparation for the promises of God. See, God knows that many of us, as you said, Pastor, cannot handle where he's trying to take us. So he has to root out all the junk in our lives through suffering to prepare. Oh, you're not talking to me in here. To prepare us for what we're about to go through. And it's an amazing thing for a Christian to complain when they are going through difficulty, not knowing that this is nothing but a setup for what God is about to do in your life. It doesn't matter how difficult it is, you ought to be able to praise God not only when you get a car, but praise God when you're walking. You ought to praise God when you got money in the bank. You ought to praise him when you're overdraft. You ought to praise God with a job. You ought to praise him unemployed. You ought to praise him healthy. You ought to praise him sick. Because as a believer, you know that that's not the end of the story. That's what you know. But many of us, I guess we just don't know it. So we're victims. I don't deserve this. That leads us to Pergamum. And the church in Pergamum, they were a compromising church. And it's very simple, Pastor. That compromise simply means, this is, let me tell you what compromise is. Compromise is, I don't want to suffer. That's what it means. I don't want to self-deny and I don't want to suffer. So what do I do? I compromise what I know to be true so that I don't have to suffer or make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So the church in Pergamum, what they did was is they said, look, in order for us to be accepted by the world, we have to make some adjustments on how we live mm-hmm. so that we don't have to go back to the persecution that we experienced before. Notice what the scripture says. He says, nevertheless, in Revelation 2.14, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Here's another word for compromise. It's idolatry. I compromise is when you idolize your comfort more than you idolize commitment. Mercy. Where you would rather be comfortable and self-centered than to be committed to the things of God. Oh, my goodness. The biggest problem with a lot of Christians today is being committed to God. When most of us, you know, we say this when we get baptized, when we give our life to Christ, God, I'll do anything that you ask me to do. I'll serve you for the rest of my days. When we get a new call, God, I will go around and pick people off the streets and bring them into the house of God. I will do whatever you ask me to do. You didn't really mean it. <laughs> you didn't mean what you said. The majority of Christians today, and let's just be honest, myself and the pastor included, were more like the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, listen, keep the law. He said, well, Jesus, I've done that. Okay, if you really want to be saved, sell everything you have and come and follow me. The Bible says homeboy walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And here's what I'm trying to say. For us today as Christians, if we really truly believe this thing and we really believe in God, then Christ should be able to walk into this building right now, come to Myron Edmonds and say, Myron, give up everything that you have and follow me and we should not even think twice. But we're not really committed. We're just compliant with God. We don't really, we didn't mean half the stuff we said when we first came into the church. Let me say this. See, a lot of us love to live in the hypothetical, which is to say, if that day came, (laughs) then I, I would be faithful. Well, So until it comes, then I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. But I'm going to tell you something right now. It has already come. Mm -hmm. Christ is asking right now for your whole life, Akil. He's asking for your whole life, James Davis. Clifton, he's he's saying, right, he wants that car in your driveway ain't yours. That's right. 
Your money is not yours. Your health is not yours. He wants you to give up everything you have to him now. And what drives God crazy is when we trust ourselves and put mat- take matters in our own hands, compromise, instead of trusting our whole lives to him, knowing that he can supply our needs. Well, it gets worse. Okay. Once you start compromising, you end up buck wild. <laughs> in Thyatira. Here's the bottom line with Thyatira. These people were more tolerant than God was. Mercy. You do know that can happen, right? See, many of us, we come to church and, and we believe, we, we love to get enamored with the good things about God. God is loving. God is kind. God is merciful. God is marvelous. God is gracious. He's all these wonderful things. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, God is all those things, but God is also a judge. God is also a God of order. God is also a God of his law, and there are some things that even God does not tolerate. And here's the problem with a lot of people today. We say yes to God. We come down to the altar and we lift our hands. Yes, God, I'll do whatever you ask. Yes, 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 yes. What we fail to understand is that when we say yes, there is an equally vocal no that we have to say. Y'all not with me today. I'm going to turn to you, Pastor, and talk to you. Here it is. When you say yes to God, you automatically have to say no to other things. And the reason many of us can't walk into a lot of stuff is because we have not said no to other things. You can't just say yes to God and say you're committed to him and you ain't saying no to nothing else. There's got to be some standards in your life and some non-negotiables that you are not going to be moved on come hell or high water. God says this is sin. This is sin. I am not tolerating this in my life. God says I should not go here. I'm not going there. God said I should not be with this person. I'm not going to do that. I got standards and rules in my life and some of us are more tolerant in our lives than God is. God's not that tolerant. So the church in Thyatira, they, they pretty much let anybody in. They didn't do any, They didn't tell nobody nothing. They didn't have no standards, no rules. They're kind of like the opposite of Ephesus. And the, this is what Jesus says to them. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Nobody says she's a prophet. <laughs> she called herself that. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. These people in the church allowed some strange woman to come in and hijack the church and rob them of all the standards God gave them. Yeah, here's the thing. I've heard this all my life in the church. We always trying to find Jezebel. Everybody's trying to point out who the Jezebel is. But, but God don't got no issues with Jezebel. Jezebel doing what she's supposed to do. She's being a Jezebel. The issue that he has is that the church is tolerating her. See, for every Jezebel, there has to be an Ahab. There would have never been a Jezebel unless there was a weak king with no courage, with no heart, with no standards, with no gumption to be able to stand up to the compromising ways of the world. But see, in our mind, Coxum, the only thing we think is Jezebel is worldliness, out in the club, drinking, getting high, killing people, murderer, you know, demon-possessed. But do you realize you, a Jezebel is simply the spirit of control? Anytime something has more control over you, Annie Davis, than the spirit of God does, then you are, you have the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel's spirit is the spirit that answers readily to their own lives and their own agendas. But when the spirit of God calls, they've got excuses as to why they can't do it. And it's amazing because you started off in Ephesus, running around telling everybody what the truth is. But now you're in Thyatira and you're just as worldly as the people that you used to rebuke back in the day. Yeah, everybody loves to quote that text, come as you are. 
But you never finished the text. The word of God says, come as you are, though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, yes, come as you are, but that's not in order for you to remain the same. You ain't going to come up in the house of God and just do whatever you want. God has standards. We have rules. Oh, come on, say amen. Nobody wants to hear this today because everybody wants to say, I want to come into church and do whatever I want. Nobody has any right to say anything to me. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. God understands. God understands, but he does not approve. We have standards in the house of God that he has given us in his word. God says there are certain things that we ought to not tolerate in our lives. And let me tell you this. We should not even have to have people to judge us and police us. We should be so in tune with the spirit of God that we can police ourselves. Help me, God. We should be so in tune with God and his word. That we know right from wrong. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God, God has got to have some kind of standards. Please, brothers and sisters, don't come in the house of God and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. Nobody can say nothing to me. It don't matter. God accepts me as I am. God is in the business of changing people's lives. If you come into the house of God and you remain the same, it is evidence that God is not working in your life. Have mercy. Have mercy. Well, let's go on to to Sardis, my brother. Lord, have mercy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, 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 Sardis is... is, (laughs) Well, there's only only one thing left. And it's amazing. And this is... Somebody shout life cycle. Life cycle. Somebody said life cycle. Life cycle. See, everything in the spirit works in cycles. See, you can never say... Listen, if... I love love this line by Andy Stanley. He says, direction, not intention, Mm -hmm. determines destination. Oh, my. I'm going to say that one more time. Direction... Not intention determines destination. If you get down, if you get in your car and head south on 71, you go end up in Columbus. I don't care if you want to go to Ashtabula. You could have left. You could put your GPS and say, I'm going to Canada. If you on 71 South, come on in here, somebody. You go hit Columbus. That's because direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. And notice now in Ephesus, their intention was to do God's work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But their direction aimed them now in Sardis. Mm-hmm. It's, please, please don't miss this because we're really getting closer yeah, to, closer yeah. to the end here. You don't think you're that bad. That's the problem. But now the spirit says, you're dead. Go yeah, ahead, yeah, yeah, It's so interesting. Christ is like, yo, I'm tired of fooling around with y'all. I ain't going to play around. Y'all are dead. That's the bottom line. Close up the church, board up the windows, remove the pews out the way, fire the pastor, get rid of the praise team. It's over. Every last one of y'all, y'all are dead up in here. Listen to what Jesus says. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We just told you that Christ identifies himself according to the problem that is going on in the church. And when Christ says, I am the one who holds holds the seven spirits it's another way of him saying i am the god of the holy ghost and when he says i'm the god of the seven stars he is talking about the messengers or the pastors in the church and then christ says i know your deeds you have a reputation of being alive in other words everybody thinks you are but i know the truth about you you are dead The truth is you are whitewashed tombs and you are filled with dead men's bones. There is nothing good about this church. Christ says every last one of you, you are dead. Your reputation is not your reality. You tell people come to this church to receive God. God is not here. You tell people, come here and your life will be changed. No lives are being changed. All you care about is about the preaching of the word, getting some good practical tips, singing a nice song from Sabbath to Sabbath. You didn't come for the spirit of God. 
You didn't come for God to work in your life. You did not come up in here to change people's lives. God says, I declare today, you are dead. Let me say one other thing. And I said this in the sermon, but I just feel like preaching right now, if that's okay with you, Pastor. You would not need so many practical tips in your life if you had the Holy Spirit. You would not need the pastor and us to put stuff in clever ways and make it so illustrative that you got it every time if the Spirit of God was leading your life. The Word of God says, I'm going to tell you everything the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit leads us into all truth. The Spirit tells us of things to come. And the Spirit lifts up the name of Jesus. If you had the Holy Ghost, you would have no need to depend on us. If we were to drop dead today, God forbid, you can move on with your Christianity and you'd still be saved. But many people are relying on the church and you are relying on the pastor and you are relying on the music. What if the music stops? What if there is no pastor? What if nobody can interpret the word for you? Are you in your word right now? Are you seeking the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is what I have discovered. You ought not ask God for anything else before you ask him for the spirit. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is more? You're dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's yeah, yeah. interesting. One of the things about being dead I mean, the good, the good thing is, is and we're moving on to, to Philadelphia now is, I mean, when you're dead, there ain't nowhere but up. Come on, say amen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you know, God is honest enough to call it as it is. You're dead. Amazingly, many of us think that our, that we equate death with energy. It doesn't matter how energetic the service is. You can still be dead. Death is equal to your ability to hear God's voice and do what he says. Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. And the word of God is living and active. You taught us, Pastor, that that which gives life is the word. And, and, and now, may, may I have a few moments oh, to please, say Oh, please, please. I, I, I mean, I'm just amazed at the lack of time that people are willing to put in the word of God. And they'll turn around and say, I don't have time. I, I couldn't. Listen, you don't miss no meals. You don't miss huh. going to the bathroom. Help me but you'll miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your time. But you miss yeah, yeah. time yeah, 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 in yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, when it's, when, oh, Black, oh, Black Friday is coming. Oh, they're going to be there. And, uh -huh. and we can't find nobody at an all-night prayer meeting. I feel my help coming. Can't find nobody at an all night prayer meeting mm -hmm. because you didn't have time. You were oh my. tired. Oh my. You worked hard all day. My Lord. But your black behind gonna be at the mall at midnight. Oh my. Waiting in line for a flat screen TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for some product for your bad kids that don't even deserve it. And then all of a sudden, when the calls are made from the Holy Ghost to get into His Word, to spend time and why ain't nobody talking to me in here? Mm -hmm. Don't just shout when I tell you your blessings on the way. Shout when I preach you the truth. That's right. The truth of the matter is, is we are dead because we do not spend time in God's word and then we don't do what God's word tells us to do. Whew. And we're manufacturing a relationship with God. We know how to say the right stuff. We know how to look a certain way. We know Come how on. to button our suits. We know how to walk. We know how to talk. We know when to shout, when not to shout, but you're dead. Tell the truth. If a demon walked into your house right now, oh my God. in one of you, would you be able to cast him out? Don't call me because I ain't coming. So Holy Spirit should be in your life that's enough right, that's right. where you can look the devil in the eye that's and right. deal with him head up that's right. because God has 
Because God <laughs> has, given you, has given you authority as well to deal with these spirits, but we are not spending time in the word. And the Bible says very quickly, I'm going to end here. It says, thy word have I hid, have I hid in, my heart. in my heart that I may not sin against him. Yeah. So the church in Philadelphia, man, Christ says to them, listen, I've set before you an open door. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength because they were dead, you see. <laughs> Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. All right. So Christ is speaking to them. And basically, we kind of chose the key word fearful. These people are afraid. God has set before them an open door. God has told them, I set before you doors that no man can shut. And I shut doors that no man can open. And these people are still afraid to move forward with what God tells them to do. Uh, here, here, and, and this, here, let me give you an illustration of this. Every day, every day, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Amen? Oh, just try that one more time. I, I, I hope that we don't have a church full of folk who have committed the unpardonable sin. I want to I know how many acknowledge that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. How many acknowledge that? Now, and, and I'm, I'm talking about myself as well. Pastor, there are days the Holy Spirit will say to me, and we talked about this at the end of the oh, last yeah. He'll say, Myron, go and minister to that person. Yes. Go and pick that person up. Mm -hmm. Call this person, mm -hmm. and we don't do it. The Holy Ghost will say, Myron, I want you to take your money and do that. We won't do it. Holy Spirit will say, get in your car, go down that street. You won't do it. And all the while, you're telling yourself, I am, I'm a good Christian. Mm -hmm. But let me, how many times can you disobey the Holy Ghost? No, 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 How many times can you tell the Holy Spirit no on stuff like that? But see, you don't think it's a big deal because I ain't at the club. You know, I, I ain't getting high. I ain't killed nobody. You know, it's like you got to be a murderer. I ain't committing adultery, mm -hmm. at least not physically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So watch this now. Understand right now. That the death, of, the death of Sardis produces in Philadelphia people whom God has opened the door for, but they are afraid to break out of the rut of listening to themselves and obeying the Spirit. And let me show you what happens. Anytime God opens a door, yeah. anytime there is a door opened by God, Satan rises up and produces opposition. Now, he knows he can't close the door mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. the scripture says whatever he opens, no man can shut. And whatever he shuts, can't no man open. So he knows that he cannot close the door, pastor. But what he will do is discourage us long enough mm -hmm. so that we don't walk through the opportunities that God has put in front of us. Yeah. The bottom line is, listen, the spirit of God. And here's the spirit at work again, pastor. The spirit does not produce fear. Yes, yes. Yeah. If the spirit was really leading your life, the word of God says he does not produce fear within us, but love, peace and a sound mind. The spirit emboldens us to move forward in what God tells us to do. Many of us, we have a, no, all of us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have authority right now from God on high. You can walk into a dead situation and declare life. The word of God says when the enemy comes in like a flood, if there's somebody with the spirit of God in them, the spirit of God will lift up a standard against him. We ought not be afraid. We're going to miss out on some of the best blessings in our lives because we are afraid of what God has told us to do. And many of you right now, you're listening to me, but you're saying that's for somebody else. But God has told you something that you should be doing with your life. 
God has told you to stop doing something. God has told you you need to do this, but you have not done it yet because simply you are afraid. God says the door is open. The only thing you have to do is walk through it. And the same message to Philadelphia is given, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we're going to end on Laodicea. Oh, my. <clears throat> now, I want to make a statement mm. here. I want to be very clear on this. There are people who assume that they are good people and they don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, let, let, let's clarify here. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot be a good person. Amen. Well, but Pastor, I'm, I'm still with my husband. I'm raising my children. I'm sending them to Christian schools. I'm doing. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Well, I'm not sure. Listen, how can you trust yourself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you don't have the Holy Ghost? And see, what happens is you start off in Ephesus as a good, well-meaning, seven-day Adventist Christian. And next thing you know, you're in Laodicea. Now, here's the interesting thing we're going to discover about Laodicea momentarily. Laodicea, when you read it, it doesn't sound like they're that bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just sounds like Christ is almost overreacting yeah. to what he sees. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the text right now. The Bible says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The mm. word Laodicea means not lukewarm. It means those that are being judged. It says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. Mm-hmm. In other words, I know what I'm talking about. The ruler of <laughs> God's creation. Mm-hmm. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. My Lord. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I, you say, you say, you say, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18 says, I counsel you <laughs> to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline Mm. so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice read with me everybody and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Let's read this last verse together. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Here we go. Father, help us right now. Um, Laodicea. We chose the word indecisive. And Jesus says about them, you are lukewarm. You are not hot and you are not cold. You're somewhere in the middle and you're straddling the fence. You are lukewarm. Christ says, I rather that you would either choose one, either be cold or be hot, but don't be lukewarm. Now, what is Christ saying here? Christ is saying, either make a decision for me or cast me to the side. And what many of us don't realize is God can do more for people who have made up their minds either one way or the other. Rather than a person who sits up in church all day long, every single Sabbath out of the year, and they just faking it until they make it. Paul spoke to the church in Corinth, in Corinth, which was probably one of the most evil churches you could ever come across. And Paul said, listen, I hear that there is some young man in your fellowship that is sleeping with his stepmother. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to put his behind out of the church. And I want you to let Satan have him. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I read this thing. What is Paul talking about? This does not keep with Christian standards. We speak of a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. Why would God do this? Paul says, put him out of the church. Let Satan have him so that he can be reconciled again. See, for many of us, like the prodigal son, we have got to go to the end of ourselves. We have to come to our point of utmost extremity where we say, I don't want God in my life in order for God to work. But while you're inside the church right now, you're faking it. You ain't really made no decision. You ain't really committed to God at all. So God cannot speak to you. God says, I wish you were just one or the other. Just make up your mind. And here's what I would say. This is my personal testimony. If God is not the God of scripture, if God is not the God that has all the promises that I read in the Bible, if God can't do exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ever ask, think, or imagine, I'm leaving the church. Okay, all right, all right, all right. See, all of you saying I ain't going to never leave the church, Pastor Coxum. My father was a pastor, and my, my, my brother was always an Adventist. All my whole family is Adventist. I'm going to be Adventist born, I've been Adventist bred, and I'm going to be Adventist dead. You don't really mean that. Truth is today, I'm telling you the truth. This is my testimony. If I read the word of God and God is not the God of scripture, I'm not going to waste my time in the church. What point is there in wasting my time faking it if I don't really believe that God is who he says he is? And you show your unbelief by your lack of commitment to God. So you're in the church today. You're not really committed. God says to you, just like he says to Laodicea, you are lukewarm. And lukewarm water is good for nothing. You make me sick to my stomach. I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth and have nothing to do with you. Just make up your mind. Again, I think it's important for us to understand that Christ is not saying this to a bunch of prostitutes. Mm -hmm. He's not saying this to people who are whores and 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 running out wild. These are not these are not people who worship Satan. Mm -hmm. He is talking to church people who just haven't really gotten on fire. He said he says, and we're gonna we're gonna discover it's better. It's better to be out there in the world, yeah, clowning and cutting up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's better for you to be out there with your mind lost mm-hmm. than to be in here and not fully make a commitment to surrender your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony, everything you have to God. God says, your little nauseating, lukewarm experience makes me sick. And this is why my mama, when we had to wash dishes, uh, she would check the water to make sure it was hot or cold. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 she says, if it ain't hot, it can't nothing get cleaned. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I don't know what lukewarm water is good for anyway. That's right. It's good for nothing. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, lukewarm water is simply water that has adjusted to the temperature of the room. Mm-hmm. And, and God is calling us not to be thermometers, but thermostats. We're not supposed to let things adjust us. We're supposed to adjust things. The problem with Laodicea is, is they, let's go to the next one. The problem is, is they don't know. Yeah. A a Laodicean person doesn't know they are. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. Because yeah. you can analyze what, you see, you're so good, you can look at a Sabbath school lesson and listen to this sermon and say, oh yeah, the church is lukewarm, mm-hmm. and yeah, we need to make a change. But while you're saying that, you are what you're saying needs to change, but you don't even have the power to change it. Mercy. Mm-hmm. And you will not. Mm-hmm. 
I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I would hear these messages and I would, I agree, oh, that's the truth, and that's the word, and then my plan that night was to go continue to be Laodicean and yeah. lukewarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why Christ said to uh, the, the Pharisees, Pastor, he said to them, prostitutes, harlots, tax collectors, and publicans go into heaven before you do. There are going to be people in the world who will be saved faster than people in the church. Because at least when they hear the word of God, because they have made up their mind, I ain't serving God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, God comes to them, he shows them himself, they realize, okay, God is God, they immediately accept him. But people inside the church, they don't even know that they're lukewarm, have no idea that they're not saved, they're just faking it and faking the funk and faking it till they make it, doing all the right things that they think they're supposed to be doing, and when Christ finally comes, he will say, depart from me. Ye worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Christ says the majority of people that are probably going to get into heaven, the majority of people that are going to be saved are people who are out there who have made a decision. At least they made up their mind. My father always used to tell me that. I'm such an indecisive person. Make up your mind, boy. Make a decision and live with the decision that you have made. Yeah, they're blind and they're naked. And they're naked because they're blind. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> That's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you're naked, because yeah, yeah. you're blind. That's right. And this is the issue with Laodicea. They, and notice what they say. They say, hey, I'm, hey, look, I'm increased with good. How are you going to look God in the face and say, hey, I'm, I'm all right? And the Lord says, wait a minute, no, I, that's not what I see. But you're saying I'm all right. The only way you can say you're all right is you have to compare yourself to other people. And oh, ain't we good for that? See, half y'all think y'all the, a gift to the church of God and your family and everybody else because you're not like other people. The very people you've been comparing yourselves to are more righteous than you are. You, I mean, we even pray this way in the church. Have you never heard this before? God, I just want to thank you that I'm not out on the streets like a prostitute. I'm glad that I'm not out there robbing and stealing and killing. But you don't realize they're closer to the Lord than you are. That's right. Amen. <laughs> you ain't made up your mind. They have. That's right. It's a Laodicean spirit in here oh, right yeah. now. Because mm-hmm. uh-huh. I can't get nobody to talk back to me. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I told them that miracle was on the way, they'd be the hollering in here. Oh, that's right. I'm telling you right now that God sees your condition and you at least must acknowledge mm-hmm. that that's me. You in my pew, Holy Ghost. Let's go to the next one. So the next thing we found out is that God disciplines those who he loves. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. The word says that you are a bastard, illegitimate child. If God does not discipline you. In fact, I love what James says. Actually, I don't love what James says, but I got to accept it anyway. Count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. For the trying of your faith produces patience. And Christ even said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. I am grateful to God. That God is willing to chastise me and to discipline me in my life to make me into a better person that will eventually be saved. I'm very thankful for Anthony and Brenda Coxum, even though the whippings hurt from time to time. (laughs) Even though my dad, I remember, chased me around my house with the belt because I was so bad. I'm grateful today that I'm here and I'm standing here and I've been able to avoid a whole lot of statistics in my life. I'm grateful that my father discipline me that's the role of a good parent and God says listen I'm proving to you that I love you when I discipline you so don't say today every time you go through something oh the devil is busy Sometimes God is causing things to happen in your life to wake you up, to point out an area of your life where you are that's going to cause you not to be saved. 
Let's go to the next one. Next one is repent. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> Let's get, is there anything more than that? No, repent. And see, here's the thing. Church people are the last people that think they need to repent. Can I tell you something? Spirit of Prophecy says that we ought to live a life of continual repentance. See, you think repentance is for bad people. Uh, but the problem with that is, is you assume you're not bad. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, uh, uh, let's just examine your thoughts for a minute. I know you're holy. You're real holy. Uh, but, but, but let me ask you this. Has anybody had a thought recently that almost uh, that made you say, good Lord, have m- yeah. <laughs> my God. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm, I mean, I mean the, the word of God says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know? Repentance mm-hmm. is not for folk who really, really need the Lord. Repentance is for folk who really, really need the Lord. And those folk that really, really need the Lord is you. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed. Sometimes, Pastor Coxham, just as we'll do at the end of the sermon, we'll say, uh, whoever needs to repent, come down right now. And, and, and I've told this to my wife over the years. I've noticed church folk are always hesitant in doing that. Well, I was baptized 30 years ago. <laughs> Negro, you need to repent every second. That's right. Come on. Mm-hmm. At what point? Do you need less repentance than you did before? Yeah. Ellen says the closer we get to Christ, mm-hmm. the more we will see of ourselves. The more unworthy and wretched you will see yourself. Somebody needs to praise him on that right now because you begin to see all the messed up stuff in your life and you began to despair. You began to get discouraged and say, I'm not over that yet. But what that is is a revelation that you are getting close to God yeah. because the closer you get to him, the more clearly you can see yourself and you will never hesitate to repent that's right i mean we ought to be prostrate in here that's right some of us need to fall on our faces mm-hmm. and cry out to god that we have not said we were sorry to the person we've hurt yeah Talking about they got to come and apologize to me the devil is a god should kill you right now for mm-hmm. saying that mm-hmm. you didn't apologize to god before he saved your soul you didn't repent first before he healed your soul you didn't he didn't get up on the cross and check with you first to see if you were sorry before he died for you he died he died for you mm-hmm. before you were even alive before you even knew what sin was he died for you and so you ought to do the same for others repent is the word of god to them yeah just like in the old testament pastor the priests the closer they came to the spirit of god or to the presence of god they would have to repent of their sins if they went into the temple with unrepentant sins or with a wrong thought in their mind or any part of themselves that was not with god god would strike them dead in fact, they would tie a little cord around them just in case they died so that they could drag their lifeless body out of the sanctuary should they die in the sanctuary in the presence of God with unrepented sin. And let me say this too because we're talking about the spirit. The biggest evidence that the spirit of God is in your life is when you are never satisfied with your relationship with God. If you are satisfied where you are, it is evidence that the spirit of God is not working in your life. The spirit comes in and he constantly tells you, Myron, you are wrong here. Myron, you need to repent. Myron, there's an area of your life I do not like. Myron, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. The spirit of God, when he is in your life, constantly leads you to repent over and over again. The problem with people is we are not willing to admit when we are wrong. Good church people. Good foot stomping, hand clapping, dancing people do not like to admit when they are wrong. I would go even one step further and say that the Bible says we actually ought to confess our faults one to another. But I'm not going to go there. The word of God says we ought to repent. Let's go to the next point. Christ is outside. Now, now in Ephesus, 
He's amongst the candlesticks. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to Laodicea, he's not even in the church. The word of God says he's standing at the door and knocking. You think that's cute. I remember when I was in, uh, like in Sabbath school, and our little friend, they have this picture of Jesus looking all calm. He's knocking on the door, smiling. Oh, no. And no. there's a family inside having uh, the haystacks, and, and they're just waiting, waiting for him to come in. The reason why he's knocking on the door is because he got put out. That's right. That's right. The word of God says, <laughs> the Greek word for knocking on the door gives the impression that he has been knocking and he's going to keep on knocking until somebody opens the door. You ought to be glad somebody ought to lift their hands in here right now and be glad that he keeps on fooling with you, that he keeps on dealing with you. He should have cut you off a long time ago. There ain't no way in the world if I was God, I'd still be fooling with myself. I ain't, listen, thank God that he's fooling with me. He is still calling, he's still pleading, and he's still knocking. That's right. And understand what we're trying to say to you. We just read Revelation 1, 11 through 20. Word of God says that John, when he saw Christ, he was walking in the midst of the candlesticks. In other words, Christ is in the church. But when we get to Laodicea, we find out Christ is not in the church. They have pushed him out of the church, and he's knocking on the door trying to get back in. The people of God have pushed God out of his own house. They don't need him. That's why, Pastor. <laughs> yeah. They don't need him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, are, they just told him, I'm increased with good. Yeah. I don't need anything. Mm. They need you out there. Mm -hmm. Those folks that worship on that day, they need you. Yeah. The Catholics need you. Mm -hmm. The worldly folks, those are the ones that I don't need you. Yeah. And so when you tell God you don't need him, he ain't going to stand there and beg. Mm -hmm. He'll mm -hmm. say, I'll, I respectfully will decline your invitation and I'll step outside yeah. myself. Yeah. And this is why this is important for all of us because this is a step-by-step -step yes, situation. Yes, yes, yes. See, we, we, we always think, oh, I, he fell into temptation. Or he slipped into this situation. He didn't mean to do it. Off nine times out of ten, that's not really what happened. It was a successive step, a deliberate decision that is made over and over and over again. The Bible says that there is even a life cycle to sin itself. Sin is conceived. Then it is incubated in the womb. And finally, it finally gives birth. And so unless it is stopped. Mm. unless it is mended at a certain point it will continue and we will find ourselves personally don't think about the church don't think about the the macro level think about the micro level your life right now we will find out that at some point christ is not even within us christ is outside knocking trying to get back in step by step let's go to the next one and uh it says the greatest promise is to the worst church oh boy now this is this is this is yeah, yeah. shout worthy yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. here now, when you examine all seven churches, all seven churches, no matter how toe up they are, they all have a promise. All of them. He gives all of them a promise. The amazing thing, though, Pastor Coxham, is the worst church out of all the churches has the most promises. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it's great. It's great. Actually, this is probably the greatest promise out of all the churches. But let me say this, too. Each church has a promise that is commensurate with the issues that they're going through. And it's almost like Christ is saying, listen. Where sin doth abound. Grace. Come on. Grace doth that much more abound. Hallelujah. So whatever you are going through, I'm going to find a way to create enough grace to get you in. 
I'm going to open the door just enough to fit you in like a puzzle piece so that you can get into heaven and you can be saved. I love it here. Christ tells this church, listen, you're lukewarm. I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But then the promise to this church is this. One day, if you are faithful and if you overcome, I will grant you the opportunity to sit on my father's throne. Now, in Middle Eastern times, see, their, their Middle Eastern uh, history, actually, their thrones are different from the thrones that we are accustomed to seeing now. We think of just one big chair that has nice big arms, only one person can sit in it. Middle Eastern thrones were more like a couch. I'm not making this up. Read the history. Read the context. So that somebody else could sit on that throne with the king. Okay, all right, all right. So let, let, me, let me see if I can make this plain. So, so, so at the beginning, they're saying, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods. What they're doing, pastor, is that they are comparing themselves with other people. In other words, they are being judges. They have set themselves on God's throne illegitimately, illegitimately and they are judging other people. But Christ says, if you are faithful to me, if you repent of your sins, if you just choose whether you're going to be hot or cold, one day I will allow you an opportunity to sit on my throne where you will actually have authority and power to judge because you are saved. Now, see, many of us don't even know the scripture. So where I'm about to go, I'm going to help you right now. Okay. When the millennium comes after Christ returns, the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the air with God. We will go into the holy city and for a thousand years we will be with God. The word of God says during that time the book of life, thank you God, will be opened. We will be able to look at everybody's case. Myron and Elder Cox and everybody up in this room, we will be able to look at everybody's case and see God did everything in his power to save every single human being on this earth we will be able to sit on that throne in the place of authority and have judgment only then will we be able to do that but see the Laodicean people pastor they messed up they tried to climb into that throne illegitimately <laughs> too soon too soon and so God says listen if, if you're faithful to me You'll be saved. And not only that, you'll be able to sit on the throne, judge the lives of people, see that I am good, and vindicate my character even before unfallen worlds. Actually, we are judging God. Yeah, 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 yeah. God says, I, see, you're shooting too low. You're running around here trying to judge each other. Mm -hmm. He says, I want you to judge me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. See if I said I am who I am. See if I kept every promise that I made. See if even the people that are lost, see if I did everything that I could have done yes, to save them. Yeah. Look at your life, yeah. all the complaining that you did. And you could not see that I was protecting you from things. You thought you should have had this. I kept it from you. But then when we get to heaven, we'll be able to look and see why God had us broke for 10 years. <laughs> thank you, God. <laughs> we'll see why God didn't allow us to marry that one. Oh, thank you, God. We'll see why God uh, caused us to get sick when we got thank sick. You, God. We'll realize why God had to take our life when he took it. Oh, my goodness. And we'll be able to judge him and say, you did it right. Mercy. You know what you're yeah, doing. You are God. You are God. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says they'll stand around the throne and they'll say, he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Mercy, God. We will acknowledge that there is nobody greater, that there is nobody wiser, there is nobody more faithful than him. We'll look at everything. And I love what Ellen says. Ellen says we will look over our lives and we will regret nothing. Mercy. We will regret nothing. We will say he did everything. Heaven was cheap enough. He did everything he could. God, you are just. Mercy. 
mercy. And we judging too soon now. Number seven. So the next thing we see is this, and this is common in all the churches. This lukewarm church did not listen to the spirit. What is the phrase that is repeated over and over again? You can say it with me. We need to pause and have a word of (laughs) prayer right now, Mm -hmm. Pastor Coxon. Mm -hmm. Someone is ill. Mm -hmm. It's all right. It's all right, dear sister. We're going to assist right now. Nine one one. Nine one one. Someone with a phone. Nine one one. It's all right. Don't be embarrassed. Let's let's assist mother out right now. Let's assist her out. Assist her out so that she gets the care that she needs. Amen, everybody.
Let's put our hands together and thank the Lord that she's all right. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, right now, we thank you that all is well with our dear sister. We thank you that she was in the right place. In your presence. And we are praying that all will be well with her as well as Marquita Gibson. Whom today had an asthma attack right after leading the choir. And so we know that the devil is angry. We know that he is mad. But we also know that he is defeated. And we put our hands together and we give you praise and give you worship. Come on in here, beloved. Honor the Lord with your mouth. Hallelujah. As you can see, we have a prayer cloth here. And we have several markers that are there. And this is what we're going to do. One of the things that you'll discover about our current condition is, Ellen says, half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels for their deceptive words and non-committal position lead many astray. The infidel shows his colors. The lukewarm Christian deceives both parties. He is neither a good worldling nor a good Christian. Satan uses him to do a work that no one else can. Next slide. In 2014, we believe that God has called Glenville to this theme. The church has left the building. The only reason God has given his spirit, Brother Norton, is so that we might lead other people to Christ. There are people in this church right now who have never passed a coaxum. They have never led one soul to Christ. Not realizing that's the only reason why you're still breathing. You justify your existence by walking in purpose. But the good thing is that God has left enough grace and enough promises and open doors for us to do great ministry for him. We declare that this year in 2014, every fourth Sabbath is going to be an outreach Sabbath. And we're going to go out in the communities and we ain't waiting for it to be summertime. If it's wintertime, we're going to shovel driveways. If it's cold outside, we'll give them hot chocolate. But every fourth Sabbath, we're going to go out into the community because the church has left the building. We have decided that every ministry in this church will be an evangelistic ministry. There'll be no more in-reach ministries in here. The only in-reach, according to the Bible, is outreach. It is time for us to do the work that God has called us to do. It is time for us to win the world. The city of Cleveland is an open door before us right now got a chance the other day to talk with some folks about setting up a mission trip for our church in 2015. And that's great to fly over Cleveland into a to place like Africa or South America. But how many know we're in a mission field right now? How many know that you are a missionary? God has called you to be a missionary to this city. And this is the year that we are going to see hundreds of souls come to Christ, not because of two men but because of 300 people who have dedicated their lives to Jesus saying that they want to be used. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the problem with a lot of church people, pastor, is that they are committed to the church. 
And we're not asking you to be committed to the church. We want you to be committed to God. And as we look through these seven churches, these are great churches doing good stuff and all that. And God is like, yo, my spirit is not even in here leading you. And so the pastor and I, as we were praying and talking this week, we were like, yo, we're chucking up deuces to the building. (laughs) The church has left the building. God says that we should not be staying. We should be going. We should not be here simply doing church, following the liturgy, just doing our own thing. And there are people who outside of these walls who are not saved. Akil, I'm going to use you just for one minute. Love you, my brother. Akil just told me the other day, <laughs> the young adults and I, we were out and at this restaurant, you know, just chilling, enjoying ourselves. And a certain couple came in and had about five or six kids. And Akil said, John, the spirit of God began to speak to me and tell me to go and minister to those people. God told me to go and speak to them and to minister to them. But he says, I did not listen. Said later he repented and asked God for forgiveness. And today we just want you to listen to what Jesus is saying. Christ said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is not the church. You are the church. The word of God says, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit does not dwell in temples made by human hands. You are the spirit. You are a temple that encapsulates the spirit of God. Wherever you go, that's where the church is. So here's what we're saying. When we say the church is going to leave the building in 2014, we're going to do everything in our power to almost eliminate inreach and promote and emphasize outreach. We want to help as many people as we possibly can. If you believe that and you want to help us, won't you stand to your feet right now? We're going to ask you to do something. This may be a little uncomfortable for you, but we're going to do it today. We spent, we decided that this weekend we were going to spend 24 hours in prayer seeking God. We started last night, had a great time. We sought the Lord. The pastor and I have been praying for the better part of a month now about what the theme is going to be for 2014, and this is what God gave us. So right here, we have this canvas in front of us. And last night, we came and we began to just write down our different prayer requests and things that we wanted God to do for us in our lives. So right now, here's what I want you to do. Yes, everybody, if you feel that it's necessary, if you want to do it today, in 2014, There may be somebody on your heart that you want God to save. There may be some person that is missing from this church that you want God to bring back home. There is some person, it could be your husband, could be your wife, could be your child that has not given their life to God. Whatever it is, we just want you to make your way to the front right now and write their name down. That's right. Don't worry about it. Don't even think twice. Somebody you want to see saved in 2014. Make your way to the front and write their name down on this list right here. We're going to pray in just one moment. But if there's somebody on your heart right now that you want to see saved, you know what? A lot of us have given up on a whole lot of people in our lives too. We said there's no way that they're going to be saved. There's no way they're going to give their life to Christ. You ain't even prayed about it yet. 
put their name on this canvas today and let's pray about it. Let's see what God's going to do. The church is going to leave this building in 2014. We ain't staying here. We're not talking about the new church building that we're trying to go into. We're talking about having the spirit of God lead each member of this church so that we can take the church wherever we are in our lives. You got somebody on your heart. You write them down right now. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. This is going to be a banner year for this church because our primary, our primary focus is going to be others and not us. Uh, in other words, we are no longer concerned about how comfortable we are. And we're not coming to church to find out how to be better Christians. We're coming to church to find out how to 